0: I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. We're going back to the hive for season five of the, the Connor, Connor and Smith, Show. Smith Show. So what did
1: you do tonight? You know, tonight we had the season announcement at Creative Cauldron. So we had a little gala, it was a little catered affair, uh, I think about 80 people came. And we just announced the season that's awesome it was fun it was it was really fun to see people we I haven't seen in a very long time and can you announce what you're working on in the season um, I am co-directing a Mexican musical called Monarch which is about story of immigration that's really exciting and i'm also directing the closing of the season a review by steven schwartz called working
0: is that the closing of the space the current space that's
1: currently the idea we're not sure if that's exactly what's going to happen because we're moving to a new theater space that's being built so it's all very kind of tentative but that's the plan
0: And so there's a new space for Creative Cauldron. Is there a place people can donate to the uh, fundraising of the new space? Uh, CreativeCauldron.org, perhaps?
1: I think you could reach out to me personally or to CreativeCauldron.org if you wanted to donate, yeah.
0: Um, On a separate note, I want to thank all of the donors who sponsored my debut album, Mixtape 1998. Uh, Final artwork has been submitted. Matt is currently sitting here working on the computer
1: as we speak,
0: uh, submitting the tracks. Um, It's very exciting. It's a great uh, song list. We're really, really happy about it. Um, Also, thank you to our new Patreon subscribers. Thank you so much for sustaining us. We appreciate you so much. Um, we're going to take a quick break and we will be
1: right back. In
0: 1985, Tyler was meeting Justin at their favorite arcade, Longshot. Just as Justin was about to confess his love for Tyler, the world changed. Blending elements of 1980s pop culture and LGBTQIA fiction, we journey through this incredible experience that brings them closer together as they fight against the world trying to keep them apart. <laughs> Listen to Long Shot on Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hello? Hello. Cheryl. Yes. Hi, Stephen. How are you? Good. Can you yes. hear me? All right. I can hear you fine. Can you hear me? All right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm sitting here with my husband and co-host Matt Connor. Hey,
2: hey, hey, hey. Hi, Matt. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm fighting a cold for like three weeks now, but other than that, I'm great. And we're oh, also sassy. By, <laughs> we're,
0: we're also joined by our producer Ryan Dean Halbrook. Hello.
2: Oh, Ryan! Oh my God! It's all—it's old, all old, you know—days, night for me.
0: <laughs> uh, where—where where are you uh, talking to us from right now?
2: Um, I'm sitting in my dining room with my dog on my lap. Where do you live? I live in Stephen City. Oh, so close. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's where I'm from, Stephen City. It is. Yes. And you
2: live. And you let to tell about it?
1: <laughs> well, sort of.
2: <laughs>
1: I If if you're leaving Stephen City and pass the drive-in movie theater on your right, driving mm-hmm. towards Middletown. Yep, where, I know what you're talking about. I live, you take a left on Route 735 that is also called Salem Church Road. Uh-huh. And I live about three miles, I was born and raised about three miles down that road on a little itty-bitty
2: farm. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, I'm not from here, but, you know, I live here because I work, you know, you know where I work. Where are you from? (laughs) I'm from Indiana. I was born in Gary, Indiana and grew up in the Gary Maryville area until I turned, until I was 21. And my dad retired from USDL in Gary. We moved down to Southern Illinois. And yes, I'm not lying about the name of the town. It's Oblong, Illinois. And I lived there until I actually didn't start college until I was 22. And I lived there until I went off to college and moved out here to start my career in costuming. Do you get back
1: to Indiana at all?
2: Yeah, I would say over Christmas time, both of my brothers still live in Indiana.
1: Oh, wow, what is in Indiana?
2: Uh, My brothers. Cornfields, a lot of soybeans and wheat. Um, Very flat. Um, There are some really beautiful areas. There's um, um, Brown County that has beautiful covered bridges. Um, There's um, um, French Lick, Indiana. That's where um, um, Bird, why can't I think of his first name? Because I went to his university because I went to Indiana State. Uh, Larry Bird University. Um, That's what I called Indiana State. Uh, He was from French Lick, Indiana. So there's some pretty areas of Indiana.
0: I think I've driven through it once, and I remember just lots of cornfields.
2: Lots of cornfields, very flat. Um, so when I decided to come out to D.C. to go to grad school, and I came out east, never had any desire to go back. Yeah. So yeah. So anyway, but I grew up in the northern part of Indiana. Um, just was considered a southern um, suburb of of Chicago. So it's kind of like being in Winchester to DC where I grew up um, in, in the Gary Mariville area from Chicago.
1: Now, um, were you growing up in Indiana? Were you always into sort of fashion and costuming and seeing plots of colors and fabric?
2: Well, it's really weird. Cause I grew up, my mother was probably the best stitcher I've ever known in my life. She was fabulous. And her mother Was fabulous. Her mother, um, she was from Kentucky, and her mother taught herself how to read when she was in her 60s. But my grandmother could look at a picture from a Sears catalog and without any training and go make that exact dress for my my mom and my aunts, that kind of stuff. So she taught my mother how to sew. My mother taught me how to sew. And I was doing artwork and stuff on my own. I liked to paint, I liked to sculpt. I like to do things like that, and I like to sew. So I started sewing for myself when I was 11. I started sewing for other people. My first sewing for other people and making money, I was 17. So um, I've been sewing all my life, and I just took my sewing skill. And when I started in theater, I started in the performance end. I was acting and singing and things like that. And when you're at a small theater and they find out you can sew, you're doing costumes. So the next thing I knew is that I was designing costumes without any real training and I was running a costume shop at Indiana state after I got my undergraduate degree. And I met somebody there who said, you need to be a designer. You need to go to grad school. You have too much um, talent to, to, to not, to stay here in Indiana as a part-time costume shop manager. And so I went to grad school in DC and the rest is sort of history. So and what that was, was a couple the years school? ago. the grad school? <laughs> Uh, George Washington University.
0: Ah, okay. So, so is that how you kind of? How did you? How did SU come into your life? When I was in grad school,
2: they were advertising for a designer for SSMT, and it was only like the third or fourth season of SSMT. And so I applied for the position to design um, the King and I and Annie back in the summer of eighty-seven. And Mac Bosman came up to interview me at grad school because I couldn't get away because I was in the middle of putting together costumes for the singing sergeants, the Army singing sergeants. They were going on their tour to China. And I, was, and I was building the costumes for that. And so I couldn't get away. So he came up and interviewed me at GW. And next thing I know, I was hired. And I did um, three summers with them when I was in grad school. And then um, after I got my degree... Um, they didn't have any. They didn't need anyone at SU just yet. And I went and taught for six years up at a small um, college up in um, Pennsylvania. It's now DeSales University. At the time, it was Allentown College of St. Francis DeSales. And I taught there for six years. And then when a the position opened at SU, I called up Mac and I said, "I hear you're looking for a costume designer." And Mac said, "Yeah." I said, "Well, I'm kind of looking for a new job." He's like, "Send us your portfolio. Send us your..." So I did, and needless to say, um, I got the job without too much of an effort, and I've been here ever since. So that was 28 years ago.
0: I was going to say, I, what year? <laughs> what year was it that you started teaching? I can't I do
2: started, that. Yeah, well, I started teaching in '89, and the year I came to Shenandoah was was the fall of '95.
0: '95. That was yep. the year I started. Yeah, the year you started, Ryan, yeah. and the year
1: before yep. I started. And that was right in the middle of my. Oh,
2: Right yeah, so is. I had all three of you, but you were you were closer to the end of my my tenure there uh you know while I was there, um Matt, so I had all uh, all three of you though, so i I didn't do too badly with you, did i You, you still want to talk to me, so it seems like I'm not <laughs> <that way. laughs> well you know you
1: do have a different relationship with your costume designer, you know you you sometimes go in and you have to uh maybe try stuff on and look at yourself in a different way based on Mm -hmm. a costume and it's it's kind of like the closest thing to you know not a therapist but the costumer wants to be happy and the actor wants to be happy and um it's a it's a wonderful little relationship to have with uh someone who's such a a brilliant uh, visual artist
2: well and you know to be a really good costume designer you really have to understand psychology so you're not wrong because I have to make, you know, I, first of all, I have to understand the character from the few words it says about a character in a script or something that the playwright may have put in there. But I don't have very long to say to the audience what this character is about. So how do I express that in their clothing? So I have to figure out the psychology of the character. Plus, I have to know how to make you as an actor feel good in what you're wearing because I'm not always gonna make you look as attractive as you may want to be because it may not be appropriate for the, for the character. So I have to make you look like the character should and make you feel good about what you're wearing in that. And, so, and also convince the director why I'm, why I'm right. <laughs> so right. Yeah. so you
1: know, there's a lot
2: of the psychology that goes into it.
1: One time I did a show here in Washington, the costume designer basically was a fashion designer. Uh, and nothing was made to actually be comfortable or to be sort of workable on the stage. A worn, basically. Oh my <laughs> gosh! And and it looked amazing, but you couldn't like it was so hard to like do the show. And yeah, I will never forget that experience of like, oh my god, you, I, we can't
2: do this. Yeah. Um, but anyways, so no, but I teach my students that every actor should be as comfortable as the period allows them to be right right. um and when i say that it's because you know let's face it the kids today they're not used to wearing um shirts that button around the neck with a uh, starched collar and a tie on and pants that actually fit at the waist you know and a jacket and stuff like that they're used to being in t-shirts and and joggers and things like that and so suddenly you put them in this and they're not going to be as comfortable as they're going to be in their everyday clothes But they need to be as comfortable as they can be, and they need to be able to move in it. Same way if I put someone, a a female-presenting person, in a um, corset or, you know, big hoop skirts or panniers or anything like that. They're not going to be comfortable, but they have to be as comfortable as they can be. They have to be able to move. They have to be able to breathe. Minor detail. I found out a long time ago, actors not breathing is not good. Um, So, you know. Oh yeah, they pass out on stage. You know, all kinds of issues. So you know they have to be as comfortable as the costume as the period of the costume allows them to be. But if you don't, you're not you're not making you're making yourself look bad as a, as as a designer. You know, I want people to leave the costume shop and leave, you know, and and wear their costumes feeling good about what they're wearing and having it fit them well, so they can move and do what they need to do. You know musicals. People think they need to be able to dance in them. Oh, go figure that out. So, you know, you have to be able to do those kicks. You have to be able... My personal favorite is when chorea- choreographers have um, uh, people sliding across the floor on the, on the knees of their suits. You're like, oh, thank you. Why do you hate me? But, you know, sometimes that happens. So you have to be able to make let them do that.
0: I just have a quick side story about that. There was a show that I was in many years ago in DC, that the costumer um, was pulling a lot of old stuff because the aesthetic mm-hmm. was kind of a period look, mm-hmm. but she wanted things that looked kind of dilapidated as well, um, but, but was pulling uh, top hats, functional popping out top hats that were a little on the rotten side um, and we had to dance with them. And I kept saying, this is really unsafe um, because these pieces of iron and you know metal inside were kind of threadbare in places and mm-hmm. and of course, how many times you're gonna pop a hat and a dance through the course of a run? Right. And of course, inevitably one of the pieces of iron came and cut my finger. Um, and it's 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 things that like, putting aesthetic over functionality is, is not anybody's no. friends in the end. No,
2: it's not. And I'm actually surprised that the vintage hats fit you because the vintage hats are usually so much smaller than people's heads are today. Yeah. So I'm impressed that they fit you, but at the same time, no, you, you have to have something that's going to hold up during the length of the run of the show. Is that, um, because, the,
1: is that because the heads
2: have gotten bigger? People in general are bigger. And yeah, hat, hat sizes, shoe sizes, everything tend to be bigger now. Most of the vintage hats that I have are for people with like a 22, 22 and a half inch head, which is about what mine is. But most most of the people now we're putting hats on are having like 23, 23 and a half, 24 inch heads. It's really hard to find vintage hats that fit people anymore.
0: That's because our brains are expanding, Cheryl. That's it.
2: I knew it was some reason. <laughs> let's 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 call it that one, okay? <laughs> so um, That's, let's, let's not say their egos just gotten too much for them, you know.
1: <laughs> do you have, do you have like a really favorite? <clears throat> I'm not gonna say specialty, but is there a favorite period or <clears throat> style that you really like to work in? If you could, um, you know, do that the most.
2: It's so hard because there's something about almost every period that I find interesting. I think that probably my favorite period aesthetically is like the um, late Victorian period, which is like the 1870s, 80s, that kind of time period. Probably aesthetically, they're my favorite. But it's so much fun when you get to do like a fantasy kind of look and, and things like that, that, you know, when you get to create something that, You know doesn't really exist in the real world and make things magical that's that's fun to do too so it's there's so many things that i enjoy doing i mean there's a reason i'm in educational theater is because i get to do a little bit of everything i've not been pigeonholed into any particular style so i get to design i get to help pattern i get to do um costume crafts i get to sew i get to do dye work i get to do all those things where in a professional theater i would be in one position and I I would really miss all the hands-on. Plus, I love teaching. I absolutely love teaching, getting to see my students learn things. And when they um, exceed anything I've done, I mean, I feel like I've succeeded because, you know, I help shape that person. I help teach that person. And it just – you have no idea what it does for me. I just – I absolutely love it. I love the relationship I have with the students. It's just – I, I adore it. It's just fabulous.
0: Um Cheryl, I have to fully confess to you that the um measuring of heads became a thing here. Uh, <laughs> I have a tailor's I have a, a tailor's um what do you call it? Tape uh measuring tape, yeah. 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 Uh we have measured our head sizes. Yeah. Uh Matt is coming in at 22 and a half inches. There you go. Ryan, 22 and three quarters and Steven at 23 inches.
2: See, I mean, so, so Ryan and Connor have relatively small heads for, 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 you know, the male of the species, um, um, 23. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much close to what most people have. I mean, I have students, I had one actor one time who had a 26 inch head. Wow. Yeah. You could not buy a hat big enough. Every, every, Time he had to have a hat, I would have to make him um, something. Or he was taking his hat in, a hat off as he walked onto the stage, you know, because he, I couldn't find anything that was big enough for him. So it just depends on the person. But I've made a lot of hats for people when I don't have the right size. And um, sometimes you, you can't find them, and sometimes you have to make them, and, you know, you do what you have to do.
0: You know, in <laughs> retrospect, those hats never went on our heads, we just danced with them.
2: There you go. There you go. So. I bet you they. Yeah, I bet you they wouldn't. Have. But if they were that old that they were falling apart like that, you know, we just did um, sweet charity last semester and we had to order because she does a dance with the with the hat and popping it in and out and we had to order several of them because even a new one was not holding up for the length of a one week uh, design um, uh, dress rehearsals and performance.
0: Wow. Because
2: you know. They're not, they're not meant to, to go that much. You know, they're they are meant... That, I mean, they were originally designed to be worn to the theater. That's why they were called opera hats. So you could collapse them and put them underneath your seat and your hat wouldn't get crushed.
0: Uh-huh. Did you have to buy multiple the last time you did it That when uh, Maggie was Sweet Charity?
2: I don't remember because I didn't design it and I don't remember what they did. So to be honest with you, because... Like I said, I don't remember what, I didn't design this last one. I just remember talking about it, but I don't remember, to be honest. Sorry.
0: No, no worries at all.
2: Did there used to be an, is there still, was there, did there used to be like extra storage someplace in the old mall? There used to be our costume storage. When I first got there was on the third floor over the Wilkins Hughes center. And so we would have to park down in the parking lot off Indian, um, um alley and walk the half a block to um Wilkins climb up to the third floor carry costumes down carry them back to your car go back up get the rep get more costumes carry them back to your car it was fun
1: you know I was I was there I think once with Celia Uh uh-huh and I remember for some reason I think she almost kind of already knew the, the whereabouts of where she needed to pull things from because I guess they were kind of organized in certain, you know, sections. Uh huh. And I remember yeah. thinking how batshit crazy that was because she knew exactly, like, oh, go down to this thing, to take a left or whatever. Yeah. And we carried all this stuff out, and I thought, oh my God, where are we?
2: Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. That was the first few years, and then we moved. Like four four or five years after I was there, we moved to a place that was off Commerce Street that used to be an old um, um, woodworking um, place. And so there was it was covered in sawdust. There was pipes and things like that sticking up out of the floor. Um, then we moved to a warehouse that's back behind um, um, Joanne's, and now we're at a a pretty decent. Um, um, uh, climate controlled warehouse that's uh, back off of windy hill that that's where we have our storage now so it's much better now it's still a mess and it's still hard to get to things but we still you know that's where we are now and there's still costumes in there from back in those days you know from before i was there it's amazing
1: well you know it's always so cool even in you know in our uh, walk of life outside of college, occasionally you'll get an outfit or a jacket or a pair of pants that they've left someone else's name in from the, like the last show. Uh-huh. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm wearing Matt Bogart suspenders.
2: <laughs> right, right, right. Yep. We've rented costumes and um, from places and they'll come in with these, you know, famous people who are long dead. I mean, I remember renting... Um, some tuxedos one time, and we got one and had Arrow Flynn's um, name in it. Uh, I've rented other ones that had these, like, long, dead, you know, actors back from the golden age that were still in the the costumes. You're like, yeah, you know. Costume people, it's a profession that, inclu- that encourages pack rattery. It is so hard for any costume person to throw anything away because you know as soon as you do, you're going to wish you had that scrap of fabric. You're going to wish you had that dead flower, you know, because... <laughs> you know you can use it somewhere. The
1: possibilities are endless. <laughs>
2: are endless. You never know when you're going to need it.
1: <laughs> do you ever and watch- unfortunately,
2: my house looks that way too. Anyway, what? <laughs>
1: so do you also, are you also a draper?
2: Yeah, I've, I've, I've actually um, done that in my career. The first year uh, before, um, after finishing my graduate coursework while I was still writing my thesis, I worked for the Shakespeare theater, the Folger as a cutter draper. So, and, and I also teach patterning and draping classes and stuff like that. So yeah, I know I, I do that as well.
1: So draping is kind of like taking the fabric and building it on the
2: mannequin in a 3D sort of way? Yep, yep. You're taking the fabric and that's how you're creating your pattern. Uh, There's some things that work better for me to do what I, what's called flat patterning and some things work better to do draping. It just depends on what I'm doing as to how I'm going to handle it. So yeah, you're just draping muslin or if I'm gonna be doing something out of a stretchy fabric, I'm gonna drape stre- stretchy fabric so it's, it's similar to what I'm gonna be sewing it with. But you drape it on, you pin it, you form your pattern from that and then you use that to to um, create your, pa- your paper pattern to start cutting your fabric.
1: Do you um, sometimes watch movies Like, let's say it's um, Sweet Dreams, always Patsy Cline. It's uh, Sweet Dreams, the Patsy Cline story. We kind of know the period. We kind of know the the Winchester area. We know Nashville, whatever. Are you the person in the audience or in your living room that goes, oh, my God, that's not 19, blah, blah, blah?
2: Never would I do that. Uh, (laughs) Yes, I am that... I am that person that will go, oh, my God, they have, they have someone taking their blouse off. You're going, that is not a period correct bra. What is wrong with you people? Um, when I saw the movie um, The Patriot with Mel Gibson, okay, there are two moments. This is the difference between a costume designer and a director, okay? Just, just you know, this is a Hal Herman story. So I hope that's okay to share that with you all. Um, but we so. were... We were, um, it was, the the year it came out, I went to the movies, there's two scenes, there's one scene where the love interest, the sister-in-law to um, Mel Gibson's character, they go to her house um, because they're, you know, trying to get away from, they go to visit her and she greets them in this satin, blue satin gown. Okay, first of all, that would have been a ball gown. I don't care if she was dressing up to see this man or whatever, she would have never worn that around the house. She would not have wasted that dress with that moment, okay? The second <laughs> moment that made me crazy was there's a scene where um, they've been, they're in exile, they're, they're living along the beach, and he comes back and they're walking together, he and this love interest, and she's wearing her petticoat and corset with a shawl on over her. That is equivalent today her walking around in her bra and panties. Now, I'm sorry, she would have never done that in front of his children, Okay. Totally inappropriate. So I'm, ta- I'm sitting at one of the opening night galas for um, Shenandoah Summer Music Theater, and I'm talking to Hal, and I say, I said I know what happened. I said, the, the um, costume designer said, no, that's not appropriate that she would wear that. And the director's going, no, I want to show that she's casual. I want her to be sexy. I want her to be this. And, and Hal said, no, no. The director said, I really need a costume change here. And the costume designer said, sorry, this is all we have. So... <laughs> there's a difference between a costume designer and how I do it and a director and how he views it oh my gosh
1: (laughs) I want to follow like Cheryl's like online social (laughs) IG page that literally says you know just takes a movie title like I just watched everything everywhere all at once and this is what was wrong (laughs) this was my (laughs) this was my thoughts
2: hey I taught a class we, um, you know, we had the continuing education at Shenandoah, and I taught a class um, for people for six weeks on the costumes of Downton Abbey, and where I pointed out where there were some, like, errors in period, where I pointed out that some of the, like, supposedly the season and the clothes that they were wearing were not correct for the season. I mean, for, you understand, the costumes are gorgeous, they are brilliant, everything else. But there are moments where I'm going, would they have really worn that in October in London? would they had really worn that in August in 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 England, yeah. And I go, well, let me think about this. So right, right. yeah. You know, so I, I thought a whole class on that.
1: I think one of my favorite classes uh, at school was the history of of costuming and just I don't know. I, I guess even the older I get, I'm just so fascinated with history and. You know, we have some people that say men should not wear heels. And then you go yep. back in history and you realize that men used to wear heels. And
2: Men used you know, to wear. They, heels were first designed for men. They were the first ones to wear high heels. Um, no, that's one of my favorite classes. I now teach what's called period styles. And it includes the history of fashion along with architecture and decor. And that is my favorite class to, to teach. I absolutely love teaching that class. I try to look at it. Um, historical significance of the clothing changes and the political and social movements that caused these changes in art. And I try to bring in different cultures and different um, things. And I make sure that I show pictures of you know, people of color in different periods and that, you know, people of different sizes in different periods. We have this image that there were no, there were no obese people in pre, pre, earlier periods. Not true. I have, I have portraits to show that it's not true. We have um, you know this, this image that all people of color were only used as slaves. But I, have, I have portraits and photographs of beautiful women and very handsome men in various periods, people of color dressed to the nines. And to me, it's just so much fun to share that. Um, I have a whole set of pictures I show of Victorian um, cross-dressers, drag queens, transgendered people that you know, because it's all new, you know, because, you know, no, no one ever did this before. You know, all that was, yeah. But, and it's just so much fun to share that with the students to say, look, things, you know, they, but the difference is, well, not really a difference because there's still some of these problems, but they were arrested for wearing these. You know, right. you might get beaten up by some um, segments of society, but, you know, it's no longer illegal where it was illegal back in these days. Um, so it's really fun to bring up those things and show them. I do a section, um, showing post-mortem, um, pictures, um, Victorian pictures where they have, you know, the dead member of the family in the picture. And I, I title that one, I see dead people. And so I, I make them play a game, pick out the dead person in this picture. Uh, so, it's so usually crazy. the one with the eyes
0: closed, correct?
2: Not necessarily. They would often, uh, prop the eyes open so that they would not look dead. And in the, and in, um, the case of babies, they would paint eyes on the outside of their lids so their eyes looked open. Oh God. Oh God. Yeah, have
1: I missed something? Isn't it, is it, wasn't there also a photography thing where they would still take photos of people that looked alive?
2: Yeah, yeah, they would set the dead person up with the family and take the whole family portrait. Cause that was the last time they were gonna ever be able to have that person in a picture with them.
0: That is something.
2: Yeah, it was creepy. So I'm just saying. You
0: know, so. I mean, talk talk about being close to your family, you know? Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, you, But, you know, okay. that
0: was...
1: I want to know if we can just think about this for a second. We're going to okay. open our minds. And in Cheryl's past, has there ever been a script a play, a project, it doesn't necessarily have to be on the stage, I'm sure you've done stuff off the stage, maybe we could talk about that, but has there ever been one thing that came across your desk that you were like, oh gosh, this is going to be a little bit of a challenge?
2: Um, I think I've never thought of-
1: about three men put into one outfit before, but okay. Right
2: hey, uh, there have been a lot of things that have come across my desk that I thought this would be a challenge. Um, and I didn't know how I was going to do it. And um, often what I do, my my design process is, is to get the, the script, to read the script, talk to the director about what the director wants, and then I spend time what I call ruminating on it. How am I going to achieve what I want to achieve? How am I going to say what I want to say in the how am I going to get to the point where I want to get to? So I start thinking about it, as I start researching it, and I start letting my research sort of inspire me, if that makes sense. I let my, you know, I'll, I'll go through and I'll let it see things that'll start falling into place for me. But I mean, I've done so many weird um, shows. I get to do all the weird shows, like um, um, I got to do when I say weird shows, the ones that have the more complicated. Um, strange things that I have to come up with like Spamalot and the dragon and all the things, not, not Spamalot with the dragon, that was uh, Shrek with the big dragon Spamalot, you had all the other weird things in Spamalot like the um, um, the black knight that has to lose his arms and his legs while he's fighting and, and the um, knight that has to have his head cut off and how do, was I going to achieve those things and make them look good and make them work um, how am I, how was I going to make a, an actor who is six foot tall look, um, you know, like he's short, like Lord Farquaad? How am I going to do that? Um, how am I going to, um, create things like, um, well, this last summer, Cinderella make the dresses, um, the magical dresses, um, transform on stage. You know, I had right. three, three dresses that transformed on stage. Um, and how was I going to make that happen and make it look good? Um, I did not do it the period that we're used to seeing it. I did it more of a medieval line, fortunately being um, uh, fairy tale, which means you can completely um, mess up. You know, you can what I like to call bastardize the period line because it's fairy tale. Um, so um, I made the dress, uh, Cinderella's dress, out of like a polyester chiffon. Um, overdress that was sheer there was an underdress white her her, and and i'm just one word magnets magnets are your friend for those kinds of things and when she transformed it just literally looked like the dress underneath was melting away and the overdress was flowing over it and it was just exactly what i wanted it to look like but coming up with how that was going to work was a lot of work and I have to admit that most of my ideas come to me while I'm trying to sleep, and you wake up going, oh, that's how I'm going to fix this. That's how I'm going to do this. And right. so, you know, that's why I say I spend some time ruminating. I, right now I'm working on Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. I have designed it before, but we're doing it a different approach this summer. So that makes it a challenge to me because I'm trying to dismiss everything in my head of what I've done before and create something new for me.
0: Um, so do you keep a little notepad by the side of your bed?
2: No, I should. I really yeah. should. But I usually remember when I get in. But it's, I'm getting to the age when I really need to start doing that because, you know, it's hard to re, harder to remember things these days. You know, I, you know it, it's only been a couple of years that I've been there, but, you know, whatever. Anyway.
0: <laughs> Is there someone that just
1: left SU and started working on Bridgerton? Joey?
2: Yes, Joey Santiago. Santiago. He, yes. he wasn't even a costume major, but he worked in the costume shop for work study. He was a performance, um, um, v- vocal performance major. And he worked in the costume shop and did beautiful work and decided to go to grad school in London um, to get um, in costuming. And he's been working on Bridgerton costumes. I'm so proud of Joey.
0: Yes, he was on the show. We, ha- we don't know him, but we, um, Edry Means Weekly, um, mm-hmm said that you have to talk to Joey. Um, yeah,
2: yeah, he's phenomenal. We also have a former graduate of ours who is the um, um, head um, costume designer at Disneyland. His name is Joe Kaczarski. Oh, good to know. Yeah. Um, Cheryl, how
0: has costuming evolved in the teaching? Well, now you gotta
1: include the 2010s. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, you do. You've got to go up all the way to the 2010s and, and things like that. Also, um, I, you have to be a lot more careful nowadays about how you say things. Back in the day when I was teaching how to sew on snaps, we referred to them as a male and female half. Can't do that anymore. Uh-huh. I now, I now have to refer to them as like a stud or ball and the um, socket side. So you have to, you know, we have to change our language or things that we didn't have to do before. And, and I'm not saying, you know, that in a negative way. I'm just saying that these are things that we have to do. Now I use terms like male presenting, female presenting, which I never did before. Um, we have to be a lot more careful about those kinds of things. Again, not a bad thing. It's just it has changed over the years. Um, and a lot of things it's changed for, for the good but it, it means like, you know, you, you do have to teach old dogs new tricks every once in a while and get us to do something different than what we've done for, you know, 30 years. And all of a sudden, like, oh, wait, I can't call a snap that anymore. We can't call the plugs for the for lighting instruments, male and female halves anymore. We have to come up with the different terms or the more correct terms. And so it, is that and like a have,
0: seminar kind of
2: situation? You just kind of... That mostly comes from talking to other people, colleagues in your field, getting people to say, hey, you know, this this makes people uncomfortable. You might want to try this. With the era of COVID um, and, and the way um, <clears throat> people are now, it's like with fittings. <clears throat> I have to, excuse me, like I said, it's cold. I've been fighting for weeks. Um, now I don't do a fitting um, without asking the actor Um, if I may touch them as I'm, as I'm doing the fitting. Um, Something I never thought of doing before, but now that's, that's something that I do. You know, do you mind if I touch you? As I do this, I've never had someone tell me, no, you can't touch me because they know they can't really get a fitting without it. But I would rather have their permission than have someone upset that feeling like I didn't respect them enough to ask them those things. Well, I remember
1: having a suit custom made for me for a production at Central Theater I swear I've never had a suit that was made for my body that actually made, you know, that fit so well. Yeah. But when they measured me, I mean, they measured everything.
2: Yeah. You're kind of like, aren't you going to at least buy me dinner first? I mean, you know, one of those. Yeah. Days. It was like, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it's like, oh, that was fun. Now for my next excitement, anyway.
0: <laughs> and, the, but, um, you know. How has the world of, of body positivity and everything kind of, for the better, changed also in um, costuming, fitting, all that kind of stuff?
2: We're, yeah, we're trying our best. Now, I've always been someone, because of having always been a plus-size gal myself, I've always been someone who's tried my best to make people feel good about who they are and about their bodies and things like that. But now we try very hard to do that. We try very hard could not even use terms like plus size or anything like that because plus what I mean I am who I am so we try our our best to uh, make people feel good about who they are I'm so happy to see that we're getting casting that you know not everybody who's an ingenue is being cast who's a size two we're getting all kinds of sizes in it and to me that's that's really incredible I mean believe it or not you know believe it or not fat people fall in love too and fat people um um it desire sex and people find them sexy there's a concept there's your mind-blowing moment that sometimes this happens okay i i would say
0: mainly since we're in america i would say mainly yeah
2: yeah yeah that's representation for most of the population exactly and for so long you know we were, we were treated like we were second class citizens if you are not that perfect size two or whatever it is. I still don't understand size zero and double zero. Do those people not exist? I mean, you're a zero. How do you exist if you're a size zero? I'm just saying, that's my little soapbox for the day. Right. Um, but,
0: um,
2: you know, so treating us like we don't exist, treating us like we're not attractive, that we can't. Be attractive. I mean, I heard most of my life growing up, people were like, oh, no one's ever going to love you because you're not thin. And I'm like, well, you know what, found out that's not true. And so, you know, but it's like, I think back to those days and that feeling of it and going, you know, why do we have to people grow up feeling that way, feeling lesser about themselves just because they don't fit what society's mold is. And Everyone comes in different sizes, shapes, colors, personalities. And thank God, how boring the world would be if we were all the same.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's interesting even, even how uh, through history, body types have changed. Exactly. Uh, as far as like, not only physically have they changed. We talked about, you know, people's heads getting bigger. Um, but th- what is considered attractive Mm-hmm. in body size body shape has it is always in flux it seems it even is. even within our lifetime right. um, it's changed drastically i mean i remember the god that was it the 2010s that this disgusting like thigh gap thing became a thing oh yeah 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 and and now it's like no it's not desirable anymore it's it's more right. you know thicker thighs and it's just yeah. interesting what, what, and why changes the the attractiveness publicly perceived? I'm putting in air quotes. Mm. Um, it, it's it's the culture, right? It's the pop culture. It's whatever's in
2: vogue. It, it's 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 the culture. It's a zeitgeist. It's um. I have the students in period styles do a paper. I call it through the lens of zeitgeist. Um, and y- do y'all know what zeitgeist means?
0: Yes. Yes. Okay.
2: It's I'm not trying to treat you like you're No, but not...
0: actually it's a good idea. Maybe you should explain it to, um, you know, the folks at home who may right. not.
2: Okay, it, it literally, it means the spirit of the time. Yeah. So we cannot escape our time when we're doing design work and things like that. And it's really hard because we think we've designed something so periodly accurate. And then we look back at it 10, 20, 30 years later and we go, oh my God. I, my greatest example is take, take Star Trek. The original series in the '60s, that looks so futuristic to them in the 1960s. We look at it now and it screams 1960s. Yeah. Then yeah. Star Trek: The Next Generation, we're like, oh, this looks futuristic. And now we look back at it and go, oh my God, that looks so 1990s. Yeah. And so you see that. So what I haven't do is I watched two, I haven't watched two movies set in the same time period or same two versions of the same movie made in two different decades. And they're writing a paper, what's the difference between them? And even just in the language, just in the spirit of the film and all this other stuff, what's the difference in how they're dressed? What's the difference in how they talk? What's the difference in the surroundings? Because we can't escape that. And you're right, every time period has its own ideal of what is sexual, what is sexy, what is appropriate, what is acceptable, what isn't acceptable. And it's it's just really bizarre when you look at these things and you realize that and when you study the history and you go, ah, oh, that time period it was like, Oh my god, if I show like, um, let's talk about the eighteenth century. If I show a lady's ankles, heaven forbid, you're you know, you're really showing too much. But they were were wear dresses so low that you weren't hiding anything of the breast. It's like, that was okay, but we can't see their their ankles or legs. Right. But, and we look at that today, going, um, wait a minute, what's wrong with that picture? You know, so you know, it just depends on the period and what, in the different time periods, people are going to find something sexual. You know, I mean, there are four main purpose, purposes why we wear clothes you know, for modesty's sake, for um, protection from the weather, to show status. And the most important one is decoration or um, sexual appeal. Because let's face it, we want to look good. I may not necessarily be trying to look sexually appealing to somebody, but I want to decorate myself so I look good to people. And that is probably the most important reason why we choose what we wear. We could wear utilitarian overalls every day. We would be covered. We'd be protected from the climate, from the weather, you know, things like that. But Ooh, do I really want to wear that every day or do I want to wear something that's going to make me stand out from everyone else and maybe my overalls today are going to be red and not that utilitarian gray cuz I want to be flashy, okay? Mm-hmm. So we're going to keep doing that and that's and that's what motivates us the most.
0: Yeah, I, I I think it's interesting how like talking about the culture and what's attractive and what's not and what what is um there's been interesting discussions around lizzo of course
2: yeah yeah and
0: and most recently about sam smith right um because how dare a a you know uh, person of his size and his sexuality uh dress like that and flaunt it and Ugh. it's just so
2: heaven forbid yeah. well it just what makes
0: is- me go like were you not here for lizzo Did yeah you not- did you miss that chapter? Because what per- pertains to her yeah. pertains to him. Seriously. And, and why do you care? If you don't like it, don't look at it.
2: Yeah. You don't have to be part of his life. You don't have to. It's like it, And that kind of stuff just makes me crazy when they start talking about, well, somebody of that size shouldn't be wearing what, you know, wear what you want. Wear what you're comfortable in. Now, I'm not comfortable dressing like Lizzo does in a, of a, for a woman of my size. But Lizzo wants to do it. You go for it, girl. And I'm so happy that you have the nerves to do that. I don't. And part of that comes from all the things I heard growing up. And it makes me sad that that I had to hear that, so now I'm not comfortable doing that. You know, be yourself. Just, you know, you got it. Flaunt it. Be, be yourself. Be happy with who you are. And to me, that that's the changes that I want to see more and more of that, that's better. But one of the things that... This year, I'm teaching a, a course in um, resilience and wellness and stuff. And one of the things that I really try pointing out, one of the things that students are supposed to be learning is doing, is, is doing a health plan for them. And I pointed out to them at our first class, I said, I'm wanting you to find a health plan for you. Thin does not mean healthy. Fat does not mean unhealthy. You find a health plan that works for you. I am, of all the people I know, I am the healthiest person I know. My best friend of over 50 years just passed away recently. She was always thin. She had so many health problems, and I was the one who was always overweight. And I'm the doctors go, you know, you're remarkably healthy, and I'm like, I know, <laughs> you know, and it's like, so one doesn't necessarily mean the other. Now right. there are some illnesses. Was obsessive. Um, obesity that you need to to be careful. And if you're having those problems, then you need to take care of yourself. But there are people who are extremely healthy that are considered overweight or obese in society and don't just automatically assume that they've got the problems that that they claim you're going to have with that. So find the health that works for you. Let's get rid of the stigma of mental health. Health Mm -hmm. is health. Mental health affects, affects physical health. Physical health affects mental health. They are all connected. Quit, let's get rid of that stigma. Let's get the help that we need and not be afraid of it. Yeah. There, there's my second soapbox. I have a lot of soapboxes.
0: <laughs> well, you gotta have the soapboxes to contain all the pieces of fabric and
1: everything. No, the soap so- boxes is from the soap that we use to clean the, the costumes.
2: <laughs> there you go, there you go. <laughs> Um,
0: Cheryl, this is just a silly, stupid insider question, but I love it. How did the practice of spraying vodka on c- costumes start?
2: Do you know? It was started through dance troops. It was a dance. It was an old dance troupe trick, and it's because they didn't have you know the type of alcohol and stuff like that that we use. They had alcohol, and vodka had no has no um, odor. It it kills the bacteria. And they discovered that when they mix vodka with water and spray costumes or whatever, it will take the odor away. And that's where it started with 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 dance troops. Interesting. Yeah, and it does. It works better than anything because it doesn't leave the odor behind that Febreze does. Yeah. Um, that awful cheap vodka. Yeah. You know, it's going to be cheaper in the long run. It's great. Aristocrat. Yeah. Aristocrat. Oh yeah. Oh, the big gallon jugs of that. Yeah. (laughs)
0: I just, that's interesting. I never kind of put that together or knew that. Um, Well, uh, Cher, I'm mindful of your time as we approach an hour's mark. I just want to ask you a few more follow-up questions. Okay. Um, What's on the horizon for you? What are you looking forward to? Uh, I know that, gosh, school's going to be out before you know it, but um, for the rest of, like, this semester or going into next year?
2: Um, Well, I am the new... um... Um, director of the technical theater program. I'm still wondering how that happened. But what I'm really loving about that is I feel like I'm, I'm doing good. I feel like I'm helping people and I love that. Um, So I'm, I'm, I look forward, you know, I come home exhausted at the end of every night, but that doesn't mean I, it's not a good exhaustion. If you know what I'm saying. Um, uh, We're also looking for a couple of new faculty members and I'm the, um, Um, The chair of the um, um, search committees, uh, Bill Pearson, who's been there a year longer than I've been, is retiring at the end of this year.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And so we're looking for his new position. And so it's kind of, you know, that's kind of bittersweet looking for someone to replace Bill. Um, So we're working on that. I'm really looking forward to doing Joseph this summer, because like I said, we're doing it with a different way. And it's really exciting me and how we're doing it. When I first knew I was doing Joseph, I'm like, uh, same old. Thing I've always done, but we're doing it a different approach, and so that's really exciting for me to get into this different approach and how we're doing that. So I'm excited about that. So looking forward to that, and taking a group of students to Prague this summer for the Prague Quadrennial. And um, wait, what's wow. that? <laughs> that is a international design expo um, for um, um, performance art and theatrical design. And we took a group of students four years ago, the year before COVID. And it was um, really exciting. And we're taking a group this summer um, to Prague for that. It's really, we're really, I'm really excited looking forward to that.
1: Wait, I'm yeah. looking it up right now. It's called Prague what?
2: Prague Quadrennial. It, it happens every four years, the Prague Quadrennial. Oh, that sounds and so it,
0: cool.
2: It is cool. It is cool. So we're taking and we and we do uh, with it while we're there. We do take a a architectural tour of Prague because Prague was one of the few cities in Europe or Eastern Europe that was not um, destroyed during World War II. So there are buildings there that date back to um, early um, Christian architecture um, that are you know um, Renaissance, all kinds of things. And there's one that's Part of one of the universities there, it's it's part of their um, their student um, um, building type of thing, and you we get we go in there and look at the architecture of this because this is such an old building, it's so cool. So we do these architectural tours of of Prague and all kinds of fun stuff, and go to the Quadrennial and, and experience all this really cool avant-garde kind of of art and design that we don't usually see around Shenandoah University real often.
0: I'm, we're looking at the pictures right now. It looks really cool. It is cool. Oh. If you
2: look at my Facebook page, my, my Facebook cover page where my face is coming halfway up, that was from Prague Quadrennial four years ago. There was this exhibit where you would stand on a stool and lift your face in there and it looked like sand and there were mirrors on the ceiling and they would change these lights and it looked like storms coming through and that's my head peeking out of this sand. Uh, we, we're floor. looking at it. Yep, that was one of the exhibits at last at the last one it was really cool. That's so crazy. I love stuff like that. Yep, it's really neat.
0: Um Cheryl, this is probably an obvious yes, but do you Pinterest?
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I mean nothing when we Matthew and I do a lot of writing and directing these days and when I'm getting into rumination phase. Yeah. Uh, nothing really excites me more because I can't always vocalize the things I see in my head.
2: That's just it. So, yeah, you do that and you show the pictures and you say, Yes, this is the feel I want, and it yep. can inspire you. And so, see what I was talking about because I do that too. You know, when I'm trying to feel that inspiration, I start looking at the research, looking at the pictures, and that will give me that inspiration that I need.
0: Does Pinterest, yeah. uh, feature in your teaching of design and stuff
2: um yeah if if you look at my um um period styles i mean it's every day it's it's a series of slides that i am have notes to and i'm showing so many pictures of the different things that i do all my all my classes that i teach i have so many pictures from pinterest and and various other sources that i use that to show them because i used to have to teach that um fashion when i was teaching as costume history or fashion history at first, you know, we didn't have all the things we had now, and I I didn't have the resources of, of all the pictures. And trying to describe these things or showing them drawings or handouts in a book as I'm trying to describe them, and now I have these incredible pictures and videos and things that I could show them that really brings all that to life. It's really, it's really fun to teach that now.
0: Yeah, yeah, I feel like Pinterest is, is one of the best things that, I mean, it's not like it's breaking news. Pinterest is a new thing. It's been around. Right. But I mean, right. it, I think it's one of the best things to probably happen for like the design
2: Oh yeah. we, of theater. We can do our research boards on Pinterest and show our research boards. Yeah. And it's right there.
0: Yeah, it's super, super helpful. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything, in closing, is there anything that you are streaming or watching that you just love can't get enough of uh not only just because you like it but maybe is there something that like the fashion or something just blew your mind
1: taylor swift
2: (laughs) (laughs) it's it's funny because there's so many things if there's a period movie i'm gonna watch it but i'm enjoying right now i've been i just finished watching last night 1883 um that's the first season i'm can't wait for the second season i've enjoyed that Um, There isn't anything on Downton Abbey I haven't loved like you wouldn't believe. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I mean, anything that has anything to do with a period um, costume or clothing, I'm there watching it. What about Um, the
0: Gilded Age?
2: Oh, yeah. Hello.
0: (laughs) Beautiful, right? Yes. Uh, I mean, I love
2: Julian Fellows. Anything that Julian Fellows has his hand on, I'm going to be watching. I can't wait till it comes back. You and me both, I, I love that show. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that coming back. There's a whole bunch of them like that. It's just, it's hard for me to say because there's so many that I really enjoy. I have a list. I, anything like that that comes up, I, I add to the list in Period Styles, going, this is a great movie to watch to, to get a really good sense of this. This is a great movie to watch. I think they get tired of me hearing that. But I have a whole list of those things that are just fun. If you want a really funny movie to watch, it's a fun Period one. I think it's on Prime Video. It's called. Um, Hysterium, I think it is. It's about um, how the uh, vibrator was invented. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> it's hysterical, isn't it? <laughs> um,
0: there's something about the Gilded Age, and it's Carrie Coon's character, who's new yes. money, of course. Yes. Um, her dresses match her house, Match yes. you, you, like all the things, like she's in a room, and she looks like she fits in that room. It belongs in there with it that she's just Part of her surroundings.
1: Yeah. Yes, exactly. That's how I dress. <laughs>
0: yeah, me too. And there's a lot of like, what is it, Robin's Egg blue with like
2: bronze paired together? Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. No, the designers have done a beautiful job on that shelf. It's absolutely stunning what they've done. And you know, it's funny, I'm not somebody, I, you know, I know that there's um, theatrical um, sort of license even in movies and TV shows, to make it work that are not 100% accurate. So I'm not terrible as far as that's concerned, because I get that you need to do the theatricality to make it work, the design work. I'm just bad when you're going, no, they would not have done that. It's kind of like the live version of um, Beauty and the Beast, Um, when she's got her skirt hiked up and she's got the bloomers on. In that time period that supposedly that is sort of set, only prostitutes wore bloomers. And I'm sitting there going, really? What, what, really? So that kind of stuff. So yeah. that, you well. know, that, that was a little much for me. But sometimes there are things that I go, no. But there are sometimes I go, you know, I can live with that because it's the theatricality of it.
0: Right. Well, Cheryl, thank you so much for talking to us. It was a blast catching up. And
2: yeah, it was with you too. I'm chatting I,
0: about pop culture, craziness.
2: <laughs> Well, I hope boxes. I answered. Yeah, I hope I answered what you wanted, but it was great fun. I had a great time with y'all. Well, we
0: love you and we hope to see Aww. you soon. Have a good rest of your evening. Yeah, and come up come with to,
2: Joseph. Thank you. And come and visit me. I have a big new office. So come and visit me. I even we have will. so much there. So come and see me. <laughs> we Will do. Right. It was so nice talking to you all. Thank you. you. All right. Bye, Cheryl. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks so much, Cheryl, for talking to us. It was a fascinating discussion. I miss how whip-smart you are about every detail of historical costuming and everything. I love that. Um, It was a great discussion. And we love you and miss you and wish we could have come to the reunion. But we hope to see you soon. Absolutely. If you want to learn more about us, please visit www.connersmithmusicals.com. That's Connor with an E-R. You can find us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Patreon, uh, Pinterest, Connor and Smith. Again, Connor with an E-R. Thanks to all of our Patreon subscribers. Thanks to all of the donors for the album. Um, My debut album. So exciting. Coming soon on all platforms that you can download sound on. Um, We've got a lot more coming down the pike for you all. Um, And we just thank you for listening. It's... We're almost to 10,000 listeners. So thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.